Recorded no, in front of a studio audience of two dogs. No, we're not. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Recorded in a living room in anywhere USA in front of two dogs. No, no. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I am the strongest man in the world. No, you're Joe. I'm Joe. And I held the record for most spaghetti eaten in a single minute. Okay. Um, this is a podcast where we discuss pop culture and true crime and all the crazy things that happen in a given year. Sometimes we discuss salad. Maybe, sometimes. Or pro wrestlers. Like, yeah, I guess uh, we probably have discussed salad maybe once or twice. We've mentioned salad. Jim Helwig uh, mm. was the ultimate warrior. Sometimes we oh, mention okay. him. Um, He's dead. Yes. So, what year are we talking about? Well, we are in the middle of season two, uh, the 80s series. Yes. So not quite the middle. We're not quite the middle. We're in. We're pretty. We're deep in. We're deep and knee deep in. So we're up to uh, episode uh, four. Okay. Of the second season. So total. This is like too 14. much math. No wait. 80, 80, 80. All right. <laughs> episode four, nineteen eighty-three. So episode fourteen total. This is our fourteenth time doing this. Really? Okay. Our fourteenth episode. And they say. A podcast only survives if it gets at least to 25 episodes. That's something you made up. No, that's actually a thing somebody told me. I don't know if the person knew what they're talking they about. They made it was, up, probably. You know who I think said that? Who? Ryan Burkett is my guess. Ryan Burkett is a lovely You're little, making that up, a, and you're, you're slandering him no, right now. No, he's a very small fellow with several sleeping disorders, and he lives, <laughs> yes, he in, he lives in Chicago, uh, and he writes comedy, and he does improv. Yes. He's got a group called Joe. He's got a comedy group called Joe, named after probably after me. I think it is after you, uh, in fact, because they all have pictures of my torso. That's right. Okay. So but anyway, he. Uh, I think he told me that. So I. I don't know whether he's a genius or not, but I think he told me that. All right. So let's go ahead. And, you want to just dive right into yeah, 1980? Let's dive uh, right in. Do we need to explain anything else? Any corrections? No. On, there hasn't been a lot of corrections and apologies. I lately. know we've been because we. I think pretty on it with the facts. Well, I think that's the thing is. If you actually do a little bit of research, you actually uh, kind of are no, speaking. A little more. Yeah, I mean, we still, I'm sure, are going to say oh, things that are complete lies, Yeah, I but think not intentionally. There were probably some apologies about Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan or something. We probably yeah. said some of those wrong, but I tried People to People with the out. last name Smith, you should probably apologize to them. That was a few episodes ago, I was think. Was it? Yeah, I don't know. Never uh, apologized them. Well, I mean, you want to play a little game of name how many Smiths you know? No, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought that, well, that would be our other podcast, our spin-off. Uh, I thought you meant we're not doing that. It's going to be our no, other podcast. We're not doing that. I'll just, I'll just suggest things, and you say, we're not doing that, and I'll suggest something yep, else, and you say, it. we're not doing that. That's right. Okay. All right. So. Okay, let's just jump right into Saturday. Okay. Uh, January 1st was on a Saturday. Okay. This time, I have the days of the week, too. So, it's Saturday. Oh, God. The year started on a Saturday. So unnecessary. Saturday, January 1st, 1983. Yep. There was a game invented, and... Actually, I don't know if it was exactly on the first. So okay. this one I just put for the first. I know it was in January okay. of 1983. Nobody cares. It. What was it? And I do have a few things at the end of the, this episode that I don't have dates for. I'm just going to mention it happened in 1983. So this, Jenga, the game Jenga, was introduced at the London Toy oh. Fair in January of 1983. Jenga. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love Jenga. You do? Oh, yeah, we have one. Uh, does it surprise you at all that it's that old? Look, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I feel like it was more of a 90s, 90s 2000s or 90s in the thing. 90s, yeah, I 90s think. thing. But nope. It was introduced to the London Toy Fair and it was uh I don't have the exact words written down, but it was invented by some family who just they family of Amish? Uh no, I don't think uh, cuz it's just a wooden it's just wooden blocks. Yeah, th- there was a family like they made it up in their family and they started playing it. They were like, "Oh, let's let's take these wooden uh, um, they're billionaires now." I don't think it was twigs. It was some they had them they had them laying around for something the bl- the blocks They're playing dildos. Something else. They were maybe I think they're dildos. dildos. <laughs> they probably were dildos. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they were probably a family that loved dildos. Dildo Jenga, honey. Dildo Jenga is not a bad idea. That's a marketable I mean, no, we idea. Should, let's just quit the podcast and start selling dildo jenga. dildo jenga <laughs> okay <laughs> there's probably a porn out there where they do that already uh, yeah there probably is all right what's moving on to saturday january 15th that's two weeks after that original saturday yeah uh there was a new number one song on the top of the charts uh because whatever was at the end of 82 carried mm-hmm. over okay and uh, i have forgotten what it was do you remember what do you remember what was at the end of 82 what the top song oh, was? i thought you were asking me do i remember what song are you're getting ready to talk about no, what I'm saying, January 15, 1983, a new song took over the oh, top Billboard charts. No, I do not remember. And it was whatever was at the end of the last episode. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, Men at Work took over mm. with their single Down Under. I come from the land down under. Can you hear, can you hear that thunder? Men go, thunder. The song also contains the refrain, where beer does flow when men chunder. So? Do you know what chunder means? No. What's it mean? Beer does flow and men chunder. I said I don't know what, what it do means. What do you think? By, by me saying that, vomit. They vomit. They vomit. Okay. Yeah, chunder means to vomit. I never paid attention to much of the words except the part well, where they say, Vegemite sandwich. They're all in that Australian slang stuff. It is a whole bunch of Australian it's like slang. A, it's like yeah. a big difference. It's a whole other language. Well, it is of. kind of. And, they, and he talked, it's basically just about a uh, a guy who wanders around from, from, Aust- is from Australia and everybody's all... Uh, oh, talks okay. uh, references to him, but did you know that uh, Men at Work uh, were sued? No, by uh, a music royalty company who had owned the rights to Kookaburra. Remember that Kookaburra nursery rhyme? No. Kookaburra sits in an old oak tree. You made that Sabada. up? No, I swear. I I've never heard that. You've never heard of that? No. Kookaburra sits no. in an old oak tree. No. dip in jolly folly something is. No, he. I haven't heard of it. I, it, the more you say it, it's not going to change the fact that I don't know. Kookaburra. No, I have not. All right, anyway, it's a famous nursery rhyme, okay? Yeah, yeah. Like written in the 1890s or oh, 1900s really? or something. But anyway, why somebody had the rights to it, whatever. Uh, but anyway, they were sued. You think that would be public domain by now? Well, they were sued because, and actually, they didn't realize this, so it was a trivia question on some show that was oh. like, what popular hit song uses the same... Uh, nursery rhyme tune. Nursery rhyme tune. The music from the, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the answer was that song Down Under by uh, Men So it was work. like on Jeopardy or something? And Not then... Jeopardy. It was some Australian show. Oh. I think, something like uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire type. Who Wants yeah. to Be a Millionaire? All right. Listen. And so then they got sued and they that court case went on forever. Oh. And Colin Hay, the guy from Men at Work. His the one with the floaty eye? I don't, I don't. I don't notice. He does. He's got floaty. You eyes. think everyone has a floaty eye? I think this is the same conversation. He's the same person. Are we talked about. I didn't know he had a floaty eye. But anyway, the lead singer, the bald guy who sings the song, he's got you a floaty know. eye. Anyway, his dad died, and one of the guitarists or something died prematurely, and he blamed because it on of this lawsuit. lawsuit. And it went on forever. Like it, it, it didn't so get settled till like settled till like the two thousands or twenty eleven mm-hmm. or something. Anyway, that's crazy. Yep, that's dumb. Sunday, January twenty third, nineteen eighty three. 
There was a pilot episode of maybe, arguably, the greatest television show in history. In 83? Yeah, pilot You can't episode. say Cosby Show anymore because boom. I never would have said that anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. The only good episode of Cosby Show is when uh, Vanessa loses her Bobby Brown tape and she put it in the freezer and she accuses everybody else of Oh. Or the one where Theo has to make a sweater. He, and it's all it's got like three arms oh see. maybe denise made the sweater on theo i don't remember one episode of cosby show uh, theo was not best. even one all right i don't Malcolm know Jamal warner okay let's greatest. get back to <laughs> okay, back to this this tv pilot uh and was you on think Sunday, it's one of the best probably shows. the greatest show Cheers? no oh. no uh, but on this pilot episode ron palillo appeared as a guest okay on the pilot episode you know who ron palillo is no he played um Horchak. Oh, uh, yeah, Welcome yeah. back, Cotter. Yep. Oh, 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 yeah. Mr. Cotter. So, uh, so I anyway, don't... he was on that. Uh, but this it was the pilot episode of The A-Team. Oh. Yeah. I should have known that that was your greatest show. Yeah, pick. and that episode title was called Mexican Sleigh Ride. The A-Team is hired by Amy Allen to rescue a missing foreign correspondent in Mexico. And okay. And they're all like, Mr. T was on it. And uh, now, so anyway... The, what? What were you going to say? You're going to have a question? Was the A-team... What, I had a stupid question. Are you not sure what it is? I was going to ask, did the cereal come first of the show? <laughs> <laughs> so in your mind, there's a possibility that there was a cereal and they said, hey, let's make a TV show based on the cereal. We'll make the A-team cereal and then we'll make the Lucky Charms. You never know. They, they TV make, show. They've made movies the and shows out of stupider things than that. I don't know. <laughs> that could be the dumbest thing you've ever said in your life. <laughs> and there go. wasn't an A-Team cereal. There was a Mr. T cereal. <laughs> no space on the Mr. T show. You're making me cry. No, I just, I think, I mean, <laughs> I've always thought you were kind of intelligent. <laughs> but that's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said. All uh, right. So we can't come back from that. <laughs> we can't. Uh, Let's just move on to the next thing. What came first, the cereal <laughs> or the show? What? Oh, my God. You know how many people are going to unsubscribe immediately from a <laughs> podcast after the, hearing that? Oh, my goodness. Stop. Stop. All right. Sunday, the next Sunday, a mm -hmm. week later, Sunday, January 30th, 1983, was the Super Bowl. Okay. And in that Super Bowl, uh, the Redskins beat the Dolphins 27-17. to John Riggins was the MVP. He's a running back. Um, Riggins from, um, what's that show? Friday Night Lights? No, not that Riggins. Okay. But maybe, perhaps in the show, he's a... Maybe he's named after maybe this he's related. dude. Probably is. Anyway, that season, a 57-day-long player strike reduced the regular season from a 16-game schedule to a 9-game schedule. Nobody cares about any of that The shit. Cleveland Browns and Detroit Lions qualified for the playoffs despite 4-5 and five records. The only sub-500 teams to reach the NFL playoffs until the 7-9 Seattle Seahawks reached the playoffs following the 2010 season. Browns and Lions are known to be terrible forever. So mm -hmm. anyway, That's I all there is think to I, it. I wrote down who... Uh, who won? Uh, no, I said who won at the beginning, but I didn't write down who sang the national anthem. Oh, that's fine. Oh, no. We'll never know. We might never know. That's all right. Let's just say it was Barbara... Mandrell. Gallon. Barbara Mandrell was around. It Barbara Mandrell. It could have been. been her. It was definitely Barbara Mandrell. Let's just say... Nobody's going to know. So let's just say the official national anthem was sung by Barbara Mandrell that year. Every Super Bowl in the 80s, uh, or from 1979 through 83, Barbara Mandrell sang that's the right. anthem. That's right. Now we're done with that s segment for all of the 80s. Um, anyway, do you want to guess how much a Super Bowl ad was? Mm. This was Super Bowl 17. $370,000. You're 
You're not far off. Oh, what was it? You're actually not far off. It's, it? a, it's a completely even number. Okay. 400,000. Oh, that's close. 400K. So you remember this for next week when we record it. I always remember it. Sometimes you don't. Ex- uh, no, I'm no, always really close. No, 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 no. no, no. I've never been more than $10 off. That's that's actually not a true statement right well, now. I've never, right now you're lying. I, well, actually. I've never been more than a little bit off is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, you've actually been way off. Except times. for, no. Yeah, Except for the one where we had been. to jump back to the 80s. Ooh, you have been way off. Callers, please call in. No. All right, what's okay, next? Okay, now we have something that you apparently are going to cover. Oh, this it's just a little decided, short. Amy's going to help me with some of the research because uh, I'm a busy man and she just sits on her That's not true. I'm, I have a job. Oh, yeah, I have a job. You're a career woman. So you're talking about February 4th? Friday, February 4th, 1983 is the next thing that it's happened. The lead singer of the Carpenters, Karen Carpenter, um, died on February 4th, 1983 of heart failure related to her years-long years struggle with anorexia. Oh, no, really? Yeah, she was the first. She brought anorexia out into... She bought? Brought it out brought into it? the public consciousness. Really? Before she was that, like the first one mm-hmm, to... Yeah, and before that, nobody really knew what it was, and she got so thin... That, that people were just like they she had to she had to cancel tours she oh would have gosh. to sleep for like 16 hours a day well it seemed like the 80s skinny was so in like everybody wanted well, to be skinny and the 70s was more like oh, skinny it was more like that it the, and the 90s the 80s was no the 80s was kind of the opposite more heavy but she was probably i mean the carpenter saying just like me yes, they long yes. to be close to you they sing that they sing Anything rainy else? days and mondays always get me down and it's just a, it was just a guy and a girl in the group right or is it I a whole group th- i think it was just the guy and the girl i don't I mean, know karen carpenter but jim carpenter no i don't remember his name dave carpenter. i always remember just karen carpenter because i know that yeah. she died of that huh i didn't realize that what she died of. that's what she died of yeah she got so skinny it was she was like a skeleton huh that's sad yeah that's sad. Well, let's just end the podcast because yeah, I'm really. too sad. All right, what's next? Saturday, the very next day after Karen Carpenter died, um, there's a new number one song. I think the world was ready to just reset. They're like, Karen Carpenter's gone. Let's just yeah. let's just get Men at Work out of here and let's have a new number one Billboard song. Uh, that day, everybody woke up to Toto having the number one song called Africa. I built the rains down in Africa. That's an awful song. It's a great song. Are you kidding? I think it's pretty bad. Think of love has been away from me. I bless the rains down in Africa. All right. I love that song. That's a great song. And if you've ever heard Mike Lashinsky sing it, you'll love it. Oh, I think I did. Mike Lashinsky is a former um, uh, college friend of ours who ended up becoming a... uh, not a priest, a priest, a he was. minister or something, a bishop, I don't know. I think he was a priest. Anyway, he could sing and he could get the high notes and he would sing Africa. Um, Gonna take a lot to take me away from you. All right. Anyway, it's a great song. But it, um, the song is uh, about a person flying in to meet a lonely missionary. Um, as a child, the guy who wrote it attended a Catholic school and several of the teachers had done missionary work in Africa. And this became the inspiration behind the line, I bless the rains down in Africa. Is that what he's saying? Africa. I never knew what he said in yeah. the, the, the I second. I bless the rains. I, uh, I was bless. it I felt the rains? No, or, bless. That's what I always thought they it was. I bless the rains. Because they're, talk, they're singing about a missionary who's a missionary oh, in I Africa I, who's I lonely. It. And then yeah. their significant other, I think, comes to visit them finally and... Um, Hurry, boy, she's waiting there for you. All right. And he's like going to see her. Uh, this is far I too long of a time to talk about this one. It's such a great song. I mean, no, it's not that good. I can't listen to it without, you know. Uh, I'm not you know even going to. 
All right. I take off my shirt and my Prius. Yes. Okay, we've and established that. I mean, that's how you know a song's good. And then uh, the next day, on Sunday, February 6th, on television, um, ag- again, Ron Palillo. Yes. Uh, maybe the greatest actor in American history. This is very, very accurate Ron statement. Palillo, who played Horshack, he w- also guest starred on another show. Just one month after the A-Team, he guest starred on uh, a Chips episode. Chips. It was, and the name of the episode was Journey to a Spacecraft. Pa- oh, God. Ponch befriends a young aerospace enthusiast who has a life-threatening liver disease. I bet and, she's hot. And who embarks on a dangerous journey to meet his astronaut hero. It's a he. Oh. Based, uh, obviously, who are you going to get to play a young aerospace enthusiast who has a life-threatening liver disease? In the 80s. Ron Palillo. Oh, of yeah. Of course. Uh-huh. Horseshack. We got to get that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, Mr. Gotta get him. Guy. Yeah. You got to get him. Anyway, that show was on. Chips. <laughs> All right. And then Saturday, February 19th, we got a new number one song. Toto has been overthrown by Patty Austin and James Ingram. February 19th, 1983. You know what song? Is it um, Up Where We Belong or something like that? Baby, come Oh, God, that's terrible music. I didn't know that was a duet. It was. It was Patty Austin and James Ingram. And if you want to see a ridiculous 80s video... Look up that video. Oh my god! It's really, it's awful. It's really terrible. They're just standing there singing oh, on a stage. Somewhere I don't think I could listen to that song ter- long oh. enough to watch a video. Well, of it. this is this. Here's what demonstrates also what ho- how horrible that song actually is. Um, that song actually was released uh, in '82, and it didn't even get anywhere near the top of the yeah. charts. Um, but a television show latched onto it and oh. played it all the time. And because of the fans, the rabid fans loving that song. You it, don't know what television show? I do know, and I'm about to tell you. I wanted oh. to see if you wanted to guess what television show would have that terrible music in it. God. I, I, Love Boat? It actually became a romantic theme song for one of the characters. It wasn't the, the Love Boat? The character's name is Luke Spencer. You know who that is? Oh, it was... Um it was General Hospital, right? General Hospital. So fans of General Hospital loved that so much because anytime Luke and Laura were banging, they baby come. Oh, they did. Me. And Luke, I mean, that guy looked like I mean, a toad. Yeah, he, I mean, cur- that curly yes. hair. Like, oh, he looked, it was awful. He looked like um, oh, like the greatest American hero. A great, <laughs> yeah, he did. Except an older version, an older balding version yep. of the greatest American hero. Uh, I was thinking Howie Mandel with blonde hair or something, yeah. or like. I don't know. Anyway, anytime, he, anytime he made out with Laura, they played that song. And so the um, the fans loved it so much. And they got so many inquiries <laughs> that the Warner Brothers decided to re-release it. And it went to number one because of That's General insane. Hospital. That terrible show. My aunt uh, loved General Hospital. She would always tape it with her VCR. My, my mom VCR. loved it. Well, we talked about this. My mom and the Young and the Restless was her Yeah, it was hers and my mom was Days of Our Lives. But uh, That's so funny. That's crazy that there was that many soap operas. I yeah. can't believe it. But anyway, that terrible song is... Directly because of stupid, crappy General Hospital. It's so funny. I remember coming home from school, and there was some show I couldn't wait to come on, and we had to wait till General, General Hospital, Hospital was over. Because it was on at 4 yeah, right. at our time. Uh, so whatever it was, we, it was 5 o'clock, and I can't remember what it was. On, what it was. There was some show. Yeah. Like, God, hurry up, General Hospital. And I didn't want to even see a second of General Hospital. I wanted it to immediately yeah, it'd be, be over. I can't remember what show it was, but it was like G.I. Joe or Transformers or something. It was one of those, yeah. Uh, Monday, February 21st, 1983, Cagney and Lacey yes. was on television. Oh, you've been waiting to talk to them about those gals. <laughs> I really was. Um, and in this particular episode, um, a date rape investigation divides Chris, who feels the victim brought it on herself, and Mary Beth, who doesn't believe that philosophy. Chris feels honored 
also for the girls to be let in on the male officer's practical jokes. Now, they were were they supposed to be lesbian lovers? Because that's how it came across. No. That's how it kind of came no, across. No, I think they were both married to dudes. I know, but like if you think about it. Back then, you weren't allowed to talk about being a lesbian. I know, but was it like thinly veiled shout out kind of thing? I don't know. I never once watched it. Yeah, I don't know if I even did. Maybe once. I wish I regret not watching it. I know, now you do. It's my you love it's my kitsch go-to reference. Yes, it is. Cagney and Lacey, everyone. Uh, Our children know Cag- who Cagney and Lacey are do. because of that. Cagney and Lacey. Um, we, they, they learned that show before they learned a lot of other things. Uh, important life lessons. Yeah. yeah, before my daughter could name all the colors, she could name Cagney Cag- and Lacey. Tyne, well, Tyne Daly. Tyne Daly. Yeah. Sharon Glesser, Tyne Daly, I would make her pick. Wednesday, February 23rd, 1983, the Grammy Awards were hosted by Ray Charles and Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, that's a pretty bang-up thing there. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, those two together, that's pretty good. Um, I I can't imagine what that's like. The album of the year went to Toto for Toto 4, Mm -hmm. and song of the year was Always On My Mind. Oh, you were always always on on Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. You know, that's not the first version of that song. No, I know. redo. I I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was originally his, but... Anyway, those are the big winners. Very good. Anything else to say about that? Nope. Monday, February 28th, 1983, on television was a very big deal. Now, so I know I've mentioned some just random television shows. This was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, New York's sewer system experienced a 6.7, a 6.7 million gallon hike after the series finale of MASH. Oh, my God. Were an, people barfing or no, having an, diarrhea? An estimated one million citizens held it in until the ending. Oh. That the series finale of I MASH. I thought it was because people were barfing. No, the, the series finale of MASH was watched by 125 million people. Some of those people were probably barfing. Were <laughs> uh, <laughs> having massive diarrhea? But that many people watched. MASH was such a big deal. Uh, the U.S. population that year was approximately 203 million. Yeah. So only, only 75 million out of 203 were not watching MASH. Oh, my God. That's insane. As of 2017, of the top 20 most-watched TV broadcasts in the United States, mm-hmm. 19 were Super Bowls, and the other was, was the Mash. 1983 finale of the television Mash. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it was a big fucking big, deal. I remember my grandma watched MASH. She loved MASH. Yeah. yeah. I, I always would get, I don't know, my mom a lot of times. Everybody loved it. Yeah. My mom would, would go out, and, when, and a lot of times MASH was coming on, she'd go out with my dad, Yeah. and I would get that awful feeling in the pit of my stomach. And, um, because so that, MASH was on? No, because she was leaving. Oh, yeah. And um, I I equated the theme song to that yeah. feeling, so it kind of creeps me out a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. I I always got a creepy feeling about MASH, too. I don't know why. I think it... The war. Yeah, I don't know. I just Stuff like... about wars. Yeah, I didn't care anything depressing. about it at all. But, uh, but MASH is also the only reason anybody who's not from Toledo, Ohio, knows, about knows Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, I know. Everyone knows from Clinger, which I never watched. Yeah, I Klinger. should go back and watch it and see because... I watched a lot of it. You did? Because apparently he did. talked about the Toledo Mud Hens a lot. Yeah, he did. And he talked about Tony Paco's hot dogs. Yes, he does. Um, which, Tony Paco is a big deal. I mean, yeah. you know that from living near there. But, right. Um, so it always blows my mind that complete strangers, when they hear I'm from Toledo, are like, oh, yeah. Tony Packos. I was like, yeah. how the hell do you know that? The Mudheads, ha-ha, the Mudheads. Well, yeah. Tony Packos, my God, they must have been in heaven when that was going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the only reason they're a big deal. I yeah. mean, if he didn't talk about that, I'm sure they would have died out, out probably. Business, yeah, that's you know? true. They're, they're a, a big deal. I mean, it's, they're not, it's not that crazy. It's just chili sauce. I mean, it's, it's just chili. I've never know. had it, so. It's just 
it's like you know if you have a chili dog yeah that's all it is yeah it's hungarian hot dog with chili sauce on it oh but there's some but they sell their paco sauce which is yeah just, it's good but it tastes like any chili sauce to me oh, i mean really? any chili dog i've ever had tastes like paco i'm not a big chili dog fan yeah well and i don't like the hungarian hot dogs it's like kielbasa the, ew, uh, it does you know and then the thing about tony paco's is yeah. they uh celebrities go there because that's uh, oh so they have all the names on or the pictures they sign they sign hot dog buns oh they sign hot dog buns and then they encase them in something they shellac them and encase them in something hang them on the wall now burt reynolds was the first one to actually do that oh really and he he signed up his when when he's on playgirl magazine oh my god and he signed up a centerfold of him they covered up his wiener with a hot dog bun uh and he signed it that was like the original one and then now they have a bunch any celebrity somebody how did they did he did he carry around pictures of himself and playgirl magazine or just probably <laughs> i've got a, I happen to have a about, picture of myself if you I'm want sure it. he did we're talking about burt reynolds i know that's so true probably anyway how do we get to burt reynolds naked but uh tony paco's yep. clinger and clinger was uh trying to get kicked out of the army, army dressing like, dress like a woman which yeah. there's probably like a lot of transphobic yeah it could be now so maybe it won't hold up but yeah i always had a problem with houlihan hot lips houlihan oh yeah i don't know why she just b- bothered me yeah i don't know why anyway um, that happened on Monday, February 28th, 1983. And then on Thursday, March 3rd, just that same week, you have something. Oh, yeah. Um, Rockstar. Oh, I just opened my last oh, hop geez. slam. Rockstar Dave Navarro's mother was murdered in 1983. Oh. Um, Navarro appeared on America's Most Wanted, and thanks to a viewer tip, the killer was caught. So when Dave was seven, his parents divorced, and he moved to Bel Air with his mother, Constance. Oh. Um, he designated days he would spend with his father per their custody arrangement. Things changed dramatically for 15-year-old Dave on March 3rd while he was staying at his father's house. His mother and a close friend were murdered in her West Los Angeles apartment by her jealous, psychotic ex-boyfriend, John Riccardi. Oh, man. He broke into her apartment, shot her and her friend, and stuffed her lifeless body halfway into a linen closet. So prosecutors claimed that Riccardi had once handcuffed then 13-year-old Dave to a toilet and stalked Connie constantly. Dave believes he would have been Riccardi's third victim if he had been there that night, I'm which it sure sounds he, he should have. Oh, yeah, it definitely would have been. totally would have, yeah. So uh, Dave Navarro was from... Uh, Foo Fighters, right? No. I'm wait. thinking of David Grohl. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. Uh, I get Dave them. Navarro was... Uh, I get was one of the Chili Peppers? No. No. <laughs> Dave Navarro. He was a big band. There was a big... Yeah, I know. Oh, I can't right, think of it right now. Uh, I think it's... Oh, I know. Jane's Addiction. That's what it was. Jane's Addiction? Yeah, he was in Jane's Addiction. No. Yes, he was. Now Red I, Hot Chili Peppers. I think he was in Jane's Addiction, too. No, no. Yes, I guarantee he was. He was... Jane's Addiction, you're right. Oh, my God, I you're right. I accept your apology. Been caught stealing. Yeah. Once when I was... I didn't know he was in Jane's Addiction. Yeah. So in 86 to 93, he was in Jane's Addiction. 93 and 98, he was in Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. 2001 to 2005, I don't know. Wasn't he on some show? He was like an American Idol guy. He was on that rock star. Remember that rock star oh, one? Yeah. He was on that. Or was that Dave Grohl? I get them so confused. I feel like oh, they even shit. look alike. They do look the same. Yeah. I think I get those two mixed up also. All right, anyway, let's move on. Marilyn Manson, Guns N' Roses, Nine Inch Nails, he played with all those guys. Anyway, fuck you guys for judging us for not knowing that. Yes, because <laughs> there will be people screaming at the You know, if I get one more, tweet, for that. one more tweet about something we got wrong and that we should know better, these Star Trek assholes. No, 
No, no. It's nice. We will definitely admit our <laughs> ignorance, and it's nice to get correct, gentle if, corrections. If Matt Kalmbach sends me one more message. He doesn't listen, does he? He did at the beginning. He listened oh. to the first one, and he got pissed about us disparaging Kevin Costner. And oh, that's I, right. Now he refuses. I don't think he's no. listened to since. If you don't know who Matt Kalmbach is, he's a Toledoan who I went to high school with, and he is covered, covered in back hair. <laughs> He's got um, back hair yeah, all over his I, torso. We, and we all we all should feel bad for his shower drain. Ooh. So, Saturday, March 3rd, 1983. That was uh, the same one as I just did. Or is there another You one? did Thursday, March 3rd. Oh, I thought that's what you just said. Saturday, March 5th. Oh, okay. Sorry. Saturday, March 5th, 1983. The new number one single from March 5th all the way to April 22nd is Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Billie Jean is not, not my, my lover. She's just a girl who thinks that I am the one. But Jackson is not my son. Jackson stated several times that Billie Jean was based on the groupies he and his brothers encountered while part of the Jackson 5. Billie Jean is kind of anonymous. Is kind of anonymous. Billie mm. Jean is kind of anonymous. It represents a lot of girls. They used to call them groupies in the 60s, he added. They would hang around backstage doors, and any band that would come to town they would have a relationship with. He we mean, know what, I know what groupies he are, means bang. And I think, I think I wrote this out of experiences with my brothers when I was little. Anyway, um... Every girl claimed that their son was related to one of my brothers. But Jackson's biographer, J. Randy Taraborelli. Make sure you're not talking too fast, remember? Jackson's biographer, J. Randy Taraborelli, mm-hmm. promoted the theory that Billie Jean was derived from a real-life experience the singer faced in 1981. Like a stalker, maybe? Yeah, the Magic and Madness documents, documents how a young woman wrote Jackson a letter, which informed the singer that he was the father of one of her twins. Oh, wow. And she was just a groupie? She was the father of one of her twins. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, which is impossible. Uh, Yes, right. And insane. Jackson, who regularly received letters of this kind, had never met the woman in question and ignored it. The woman, however, continued to send Jackson more letters, which stated that she loved him Mm -hmm. and wanted to be with him. That's creepy. She wrote of how happy they would be if they raised a a child together. That's not going to help matters. To write a song about her, yeah. Um, I mean, then she, then that just feeds their delusion. I, I listened to a podcast about Dave Letterman's stalker. Have you ever heard about that? No. And every time he would talk about the stalker on air, it it exacerbated the situation it because made it worse, in, in she a was stalker's like, I'm real. mind, yeah, right? They, He's they, talking about me, they, especially me. like stalkers of celebrities. They they insert themselves like they start to delude delude themselves into th- th- believing that they really are important in that right. person's life. And so every time he went on air and mentioned her. It made it worse. Yeah. But she like would stand like when he was in his bed with his wife once, yeah, and she, she snuck into standing his house. in the hallway right. like creepy, and she did it repeatedly for years. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. It's a different world now. Yeah. Well, the um, this is crazy because this so so he never met the woman and ignored it. The woman, however, continued to send Jackson more letters, which say that she loved him and wanted to be with him. She wrote of how happy they'd be if they raised the child together. She pondered how Jackson could ignore his own flesh and blood. The letters disturbed the singer to the extent that he suffered nightmares. Wow. Following the letters, Jackson received a parcel containing a photograph of the fan as well as a letter and a gun. Whoa. Jackson was horrified. The letter asked that the pop singer kill himself on a certain day and at a specific time. The fan would do the same once she had killed their baby. She wrote that if they could not be together in this life, then they would be in the next. Whoa. To, to the mother's dismay, Jackson had the photograph of the woman framed and hung above the dining room table of their family home. 
What? That, that's weird. Afterwards, the Jacksons discovered that the fan had been sent to a psychiatric hospital. Now, this is all according to the biographer. Yeah. Michael Jackson never said that happened. He always said, oh. no, it's not about anybody in particular. Well, maybe that maybe he didn't want this person to know yeah, that it was about maybe, her. Maybe, but why would he frame her picture and put it above their table? Like, that, that's weird to me. So he framed a picture of that picture she sent with the that's baby? That's what it says in this. And put it. According to this biographer. That is weird. Yeah, so that is weird. Yeah. Okay. So Friday, April 1st. 1983, the Pittsburgh Penguins purposefully, <laughs> how about that? For That's alliteration. The Pittsburgh Penguins purposefully, yeah. the Pittsburgh Penguins purposefully finished last in the 1983-84 season to secure the 1984 draft pick of current owner and Hall of Famer Mario Lemieux. So they, what? what? They purposely lost? Yeah, so I don't know if you know how sport, no, sports work, but... When you draft the players from college, yeah, into the the pros. So that's, oh, this the, is hockey. The worst team gets the, the first pick. The worst team pick. gets the top pick. I got it now. So the Browns have had like they yes. always pick first because they're always the worst yeah. team. Um, so in hockey, apparently, and then everyone always accuses of teams of just tanking. Yeah, so that, that they they're can... just tanking to try to get the, you know, um, but the pits. This is the only time I've ever heard of this actually happening. Hmm. So they purposefully did finish last. According to popculture.us, um, I didn't like Google, I didn't like search this yeah. and say are there allegations or whatever. But Mario Lemieux was one of the few hockey players that I've ever heard of. And oh, okay. he, and he's I guess he owns the Penguins now. Like he's that big of a deal. Oh, so he was a big deal. Okay, I guess. So okay, I don't know. there's only like Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. Yeah, those are the only Wayne Gretzky's the only one I know. Pokey Redick, the only reason I know him, the only black hockey player like oh really ever for yeah. a long time. Um. That's the only reason I know him. Monday, April 11th, 1983, mm-hmm. the Oscars were hosted by Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, and Walter Matthau. Wow, that's a lot of hosts. Yeah, I don't know why they had four hosts. Hmm. They probably figured none of them could do it on their own. They're, yeah, they're probably all old and... And Gandhi won everything. Oh, it did? 11, 11, 11, 11 nominations, eight awards, best picture, all that jazz. Never seen it. You never saw Gandhi? I no, didn't either. Never watched it. it yeah. Look, it's long. It's really long. It's like three hours long. Yeah, you have to set aside a long time. And I just don't have the patience for that. Who's got time? Ain't nobody got ain't time no, for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. You should be able to speed up movies like you can in podcasts. Yeah, that's right. And watch them in faster motion. Tuesday, April 12th, 1983, on television, Dennis Haysbert plays a psych ward staff member on an A-Team episode. Oh, one more time is the name of the episode. Are we gonna just is it is it Animals gonna be the A team? Like, at, <laughs> are we gonna have to listen to eighty five episodes of the A team? Every every episode from now on, I'm gonna find who guest hosted who guest on an A team. Anyway, Dennis Haysbert was on an A team episode. All right, uh, as a and he just played a, a psych ward staff member. He Dennis Haysbert wasn't a big deal back then. He was just not a, like now when he's a not like now where Dennis Haysbert is, is the, the reason the anybody A-star. gives up. Dennis Haysbert, yo! All right, Dennis Haysbert. It's like everything featuring Dennis Haysbert. That's it's right. like Kanye West featuring Dennis Haysbert. Okay, the Wu Tang Clan, the Ghostface Killer, the Rizzo, right. the Jizza, the Old Dilly Bastard, and Dennis Haysbert. Okay. Wednesday, April thirteenth, nineteen eighty three. Oh. April 13th, 1983, the town of Thistle, Utah was destroyed by a landslide and the resulting flood. The whole town? The whole town. The disaster was the costliest landslide in United States history. Oh. So it's a ghost town now. It is? Yeah, it's a total ghost town. All because of this landslide? Mm Mm-hmm. Boom. Um, Its primary industry was servicing trains, 
for uh, for the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad. Oh. Um, so the fortunes of the whole town were linked with the railroad. The fortunes, you mean? The fortunes? The fortunes. The fortunes. So in April 1983, a massive landslide dammed the Spanish Fork River. The residents were evacuated as nearly 65,000 feet, acre feet, of water backed up, flooding the town. Thistle was destroyed. Only a few structures were left partially standing. Federal and state government agencies have said this was the most costly landslide in the United States history, the economic consequences of which affected the entire region. The landslide resulted in the first presidentially declared disaster area. Really? Yes. That's the first time? First time they did that. President Reagan did that. Yes. Wow. He did a lot of firsts, huh? Yep. He was my first. Wait, what? Nothing. You banged at Ronald Reagan? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I don't know. <laughs> he probably did. I think I did. You seem like somebody who would have. Yes. Friday, <laughs> April 15th, 1983. Yes. There was a movie. What was that? A movie came out mm-hmm. called Flashdance. Oh, I loved that movie. You did, what really? I'm glad somebody did. I, I did loved not. it. With the dancing and all that? I didn't know the we difference between Flashdance and fame. Yeah, they were very similar, but Flashdance was Jennifer Beals. Jennifer Beals. Oh, uh, do you know this? Here's a little tidbit I have on oh, Flashdance okay. that you probably don't know. Okay. Remember that sweater? Yes, the big giant sweater. There was a special thing about her sweater, right? Like her shoulder she fell out could of take it? Her bra- no, she took her bra off underneath it. She could? Yeah. Well, the trend-setting collarless sweatshirt. It was a sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. It was a sweatshirt that came. It, they didn't have a collar, so it was like off yeah, one shoulder. Yeah, it was a collarless sweatshirt. Yes. That was trendsetting from that movie. Okay, right? yeah. Like girls yeah. wanted that. They, girls they ended up those. wanting it in leg warmers. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sweatshirt came about by accident. Oh. The sweatshirt which Beals brought from home had shrunk in the wash, and she had to cut the collar off in order to get it over her head. Oh, yeah. It was a big trend. I don't know if that's true, though. What? Because it was you, pretty baggy. Like you to cut off yeah, no. her, she probably needed to cut it off to get over her head without mussing her hair. That's right. Because her hair was probably yeah. big. Wasn't it big 80s hair? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, so that's probably That's probably what it is. In. Anyway, I never once saw that, and I have absolutely zero desire to ever see that. We're watching it tonight. Although I <clears throat> I have, on more than one wedding, uh, performed a complete dance number to... to yeah. Is it this or Maniac? Flash. Know, they're both from the movie Flashdance. Flashdance for love. No, Flash. that's... Well, Allie sings it, and then I, I do the dance. Dance oh, what a feel. Yeah, that's the song, and I do the whole dance. He's I do the, even the chair. I get up on the chair thing, and I yes, do the chair, yeah. and I do that while Allie sings uh, karaoke. That's Every right. time Allie sings that, uh, and Allie is the... Uh, the wife of Armand Crisp. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday, April 23rd, 1983. A new number one hit on the Billboard charts. Dixie's Midnight Runners. Come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear on Eileen. At this, this moment, moment, you mean everything. The shirtless overalls were born. Yeah, my brothers and I just loved his armpit hair. We would just laugh because he put his hands on his head. I know. I remember that that too. Armpit hair. Um, That's right. So, although often to have been uh, often believed, although often believed to have been inspired by a childhood friend with whom Kevin Rowland had a romantic and later sexual relationship in his teens, there was actually no real Eileen. Oh, bummer. In fact, she was composite. To make a point about Catholic repression. Oh. The character of Eileen in the music video, though, as well as on the single cover, is played by Marie Fahey, 
sister of Siobhan Fahey from Bananarama. Oh, okay. She looks like a Bananarama yeah, member, doesn't she? Does. she? A little bit, yeah. I will confess this. When I was a child, I had a crush on Eileen uh, from that video. You did? And then I wanted to see that guy's armpit hair. <laughs> <laughs> armpit hair. Yep. And did you know that Dexy's Midnight Runners does not have an apostrophe between the Y and the S in Dexy's? Okay. It's just D-X-Y-S. Okay. Why? Who cares? You don't care about that? No. That's stupid. This is what this is the crux of the problem in our relationship. I, <laughs> I care about that. You care about that. And you don't care about that. So That's right. It's like Pepsi and Coke. It like, is. Are you, you a Coke family or a Pepsi other. family? You can't be one or the other. You either care about the apostrophe and Dexy's Midnight Runners or you don't. That's right. And you don't and I do and... I don't know if we can get past it. All right, let's move on. Wednesday, April 27th, 1983. I've put this in a new category called Holy Shit. Oh, yeah? We'll see if you're as excited about this as I am. This is a, kind of a story. Cliff Young mm-hmm. was a 61-year-old potato farmer. Mm-hmm. He won a 544-mile endurance race uh, against many younger professional athletes. The 61-year-old potato farmer mm-hmm. won the inaugural Westfield Sydney to Melbourne Ultra Marathon, a distance of 875 kilometers, which is 544 miles. Jeez. Running. What? So this, to me, just even doing that ever yes. blows my mind. So the race was run between what were then Australia's two largest Westfield shopping centers. Jeez. Westfield, Parramatta, and Sydney. And Why would Westfield, you want to run that long? So Young, Cliff Young, showed up to compete. <laughs> this is great. He showed He's a potato farmer. He showed up to compete in this long, 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 long run in overalls and work boots. Oh, my God. Without his dentures. Oh, my God. Later claiming that they rattled when he ran. <laughs> he ran at a slow, loping pace. And tra- he trailed the pack by a large margin at the end of the first day. But while the other competitors stopped to sleep for six hours. Yeah. Because it's 544 miles. Right. Cliff Young kept running. Oh, my God. He ran continuously for five days. How can you? What? Taking the lead during the first night and eventually winning by 10 hours. What? Before running the race, he had told the press that he had previously run for two or three days straight, rounding up sheep in gumboots. Oh, my God. (laughs) He claimed afterward that during the race, he imagined that he was running after sheep. He's like Forrest Gump. Trying to outrun a storm. He's totally Forrest Gump. He is. The Westfield run took him... Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. Oh, my God. Almost two days faster than the previous record for any run between Sydney and Melbourne. All six competitors who finished the race broke the previous record. Upon being, Here's the greatest thing. Upon being awarded the prize of $10,000, yeah. Young said he didn't know that there was a prize. <laughs> what? And, no. And he felt bad accepting it. Oh, my God. As each of the other five runners who finished had worked as hard as he did. So he split the money equally between them. Oh, bless. And, he, and he kept none of it. He gave all the what? money to the other competitors. What? Isn't that insane? Why did he do it? Just he uh, wanted he, to? He's won a race. Like he's won a run. Oh, my he's God. He's a potato That's farmer. That's hysterical. He's wearing work boots. And he just oh. ran while everyone else was sleeping. It, that's, that's insane. insane. That is. That's crazy. Holy shit. That is a crazy story. It's not American, so it's in Australia, obviously. But you got to so do it. I think Australians are fucking crazy. Yes. I mean, this is our Australian episode. We got who can it. Or, uh, yeah, we do. Uh, Men at work. Down from under, down under, yeah. Men at work, and then this. That's nuts. I know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, what a fucking nut. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my crazy. God. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you wish you were married? 
a guy like that? Yeah. He gave all the money. I didn't know there was money. Saturday, April 30th, 1983, a new number one single took over the Billboard charts. Yes. And stayed there until May 20th. Another Michael Jackson hit. Do you know which one? Um, Off the Thriller it. album. Oh, yeah. No. Beat it. Beat it. Okay. Yep. Billie Jean, Beat yeah. It, Thriller. That's right. Say, 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 The Girl Is Mine. Yeah. And there's another one off their PYT, I think. Something. I mean, there's so many good songs. Yeah. Beat It became number one. And I did not know this. I feel like maybe I knew it at one point. I forgot. But do you know who plays the guitar solo on Beat It? You know that big guitar riff? Is it riff? Um, Bruce Springsteen guy? Um, um, Steven Van Zandt? Yeah. Is it him? No. Oh. Who is it? It's Eddie Van Halen. Oh, I didn't know that. And he didn't get paid for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so he was asked to a, to do a guitar solo. When initially contacted by Quincy Jones, yeah. Van Halen thought he was receiving a prank call. And later he figured out it was a real uh, call. Um, he borrowed an amplifier from guitarist Alan Holdsworth and recorded his guitar solo free of any charge. Wow. I did it as a favor, the musician later said. Van Halen recorded his contribution following Jones and Jackson arriving at the guitarist's house with a skeleton version of the song. It's pretty, it's pretty good guitar solo. It, it's pretty good. It's, yeah. You know, it's pretty... Inf- I mean, everybody I mean, it, knows it, it. Especially picturing him just making it up at the spot like that. Yeah, he just, he's played It's it. pretty good. Even before, but Eddie Van Halen yeah, he, is he unbelievable. Tear, he was shred. He would always just tear. I mean, he was an amazing... Yes, he was. Amazing guy. Uh, Matt Ruck, who yeah. was probably the greatest guitarist I've ever personally known. Yeah. Like, Eddie Van Halen was his... Idol. His idol. He, yeah. he loved him. Saturday, May 7th, 1983, the Kentucky Derby. The winner's name was... I thought you weren't going to do I'm this anymore to, you. to me. No, that's obviously what the winner was. It was 1983, I, I, so I obviously... I thought you weren't going to do this Derby to me winner. anymore. Well, it was only the second Canadian-bred horse to win the Kentucky Derby, so everybody knows it was... Just fuck, say it. Fuck you. It was not fuck you. It was actually the only second only the second Canadian bred horse to win the Kentucky Derby was Sonny's Halo. Okay, that was worth, well worth waiting for. Sonny's Halo. That's your favorite horse. Mm-hmm. Amy has several horse sweatshirts. No, I don't. With horses on it. She's a horse fan, a big horse no, fan. No, that's not true. Tuesday, May 10th, 1983, uh, the A-Team had another guest star. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Joanna Kearns guested on, oh, on the A-Team. Really? You know who Joanna Kearns is? Yeah, she's from Growing Pains. Right? I think so. There's Who's the Boss? No, she was on Growing Pains. Judith Light was on Judith Light. I get those two mixed up. Yeah. Joanna Kearns was on the A-Team, y'all. All right, what's next? And, it, you know, a lot of it people... It doesn't even matter. Who cares about Joanna Kearns? I mean, those... The Joanna Kearns fan club surely cares. And they're all like, oh, man, if she wasn't on the A-Team, she would have never been on Growing Pains, and there would have never been a Growing Pains. All right, let's go. Without let's Joanna move on. motherfucking Kearns, y'all. Friday, May 13th, 1983. <laughs> yes, a preserved head was discovered at a bog in Lindo Moss. Gross. Believing the remains to be his former wife, this Ooh. man, Peter Rain Bart, confessed to murdering her in 1960. Ew. So he thought that the, the head was her, and he, he was like, oh. He thought they found it. I, I guess I'll just confess. I, I better give it up. So when testing later found the head was from 250 AD, Rain Bart <laughs> tried to revoke his confession, but was still convicted just of her murder. Just kidding. I didn't, I didn't kill her. Uh, just, oh, that's an ancient And this head? was in England. Just kidding. Um, it was an ancient head they found? Yeah, from 250 A.D. I figured it was in England because you said bog. Yeah. Or Australia. Or, uh, Lindell Scotland. Moss. The skull had been preserved in the peat bog for over 16 centuries and obviously has nothing to do with 
Malika Rainbart, which was the name of Malika? his wife. My name's Malika. But the supreme irony is its discovery led directly to the arrest of the defendant and to his detailed confession. What a dumbass. Um, despite the apparent confession, Rainbart pleaded innocent to strangling Malika, to whom he proposed two hours after they met, and he married four days later in 1959. Kind of sounds like No us. trace of her body has ever been found. In his alleged confession... Rainbart said he strangled his wife and hacked up her body when she threatened to expose my homosexuality, blackmail me, and disgrace me. Dismembering her body, he allegedly said, was a terrible mess. I was covered in blood. Oh, man. Yeah. I wonder how many gay dudes had to murder their wives yep. because they, so were that they were Yeah, because they were worried about it. Well, more power to them. That's right. Right? Damn it. I mean, he's gay, so let him be. Let him murder whoever he wants. All right, what's next? Sunday, May 15th. Just two days after that whole horrible thing, yep. Um, Michael Jackson's first live televised performance of Billie Jean Solid Gold came on the television special Motown Twenty Five. Oh, okay. Yesterday, today, forever. So this is the big deal. This was the this was when the moonwalk was born. Oh, I think I've seen this video. So uh, yeah, I made my Where kids watch it. I thought it was the Grammys. I always thought yeah. it was the Grammys growing up. I was little. I remember exactly where I was. I made the kids watch it because I told yeah. them this changed the world for yeah. everyone. Michael Jackson I mean, became a superstar. Yes. It changed music. It changed pop. It changed everything. And this was a new thing. Um, and I always thought it was the Grammys, but this is when it happened. Sunday, May 15th. And it was actually recorded on, uh -huh. on March 20-something, 25th. But they played or something. it. But it was, it was on TV on Sunday, May 15th. I remember exactly where I was. I was in my parents' bedroom because it was hot and they had an air conditioner yeah. in their room. Um, Jackson's. So the performance is considered a watershed moment, not only in Jackson's career, but in the history of pop culture. It was intended to be a celebration of Motown Records' 25th anniversary. The event featured many of the most popular Motown acts, past and present. Jackson initially refused an invitation to reunite with his brothers for a performance, but reconsidered. Jackson asked to also perform Billie Jean. Following performances by Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, and Mary Wells, the Jacksons took the stage to sing a medley of their early 70s hits. Jermaine Jackson was on stage with the group, marking the first time that the original Jackson 5 lineup had performed together since they left Motown in 75. Michael Jackson wore black pants, leather penny loafers, a, white bla socks. a black sequin jacket, a single white rhinestone glove. Yes. This is where the glove came from. After the group finished with I'll Be There, they left Michael alone on stage. He addressed the audience, and then Billie Jean started playing. Jack and then the crazy dancing started. Jackson lip-synced the entire song because organized feared that the evening's backing band could not replicate the sound of the recording. To begin his performance, Jackson snapped a fedora to his head and struck a pose. His right hand... I know exactly what pose. Yep. His right, right hand, hand on his hat and his left leg yep. bent. Yep. During an instrumental interlude... The singer executed a move that many believe sealed his status as a pop icon. Yes. Jackson glided backwards to perform the moonwalk. Mm, cool. Before he spun on his heels and landed and point. Yep. It was the first time Jackson had performed the moonwalk in public. He had practiced, practiced it in his kitchen prior to the show. I remember it was in craze. And the moonwalk the crowd, was the craze. The crowd went crazy yep. when he did that. It yes. was like... How is he doing? I remember yeah. my whole family was like, how is he doing? How did he just do that? Yeah, how is everybody he had even, to learn it. How was he even doing it? Can you even? And we all tried to do it. We went yeah. to the, ki the yep. kitchen and tried to do it. And it was like, how do you do it? Yep. And because he did it effortlessly. It was yep, amazing. It, the way he did it. Part of it was his shoes probably too. They were slick. 
or something. Who maybe. knows? But anyway, Michael Jackson was unbelievable. Like he was just an unbelievable yeah. thing. So that I mean that was a huge moment. Tuesday, May seventeenth, nineteen eighty three, the New York Islanders beat the Edmonton Oilers four games to zero, and Billy Smith was the MVP. It was All hockey. Right. Who cares? <laughs> don't you love hockey? No. You don't love hockey? No. Hockey. Nope. Should I tell my hockey story about oh. taking Gary O to hockey games? No. No? Yeah, go ahead. So I used to work with uh, people with developmental disabilities, and there was this young this fella who loved hockey, and he was just a real short guy with Down syndrome, and he would say, hockey, hockey. He would <laughs> whisper. He would never talk. He would just whisper, hockey. <laughs> and then people would, who knew him well told me, he wants you to take him to a hockey game. He loves hockey. Fun. And so I was like, okay, I'll sign up to take him to a game, you know. So I was going to take him to a game. It was way down the road, a couple, you know, weeks down the road. Every time I saw him, he was like, hockey, hockey. Aww. I was like, I, okay, all right, we're going to go. Yeah, I know. You love hockey. That's great. I can't wait to take you to this game. It'll be great. Hockey, hockey. And then, uh, and then he would start saying, I like you. <laughs> and uh, I like you. I like you. <laughs> and I was like, great. I like you too. I'm going to take you to a hockey game. And I couldn't wait. I started getting pumped for this hockey yeah. game because I'm like, what is this going to be like? He, this yeah. guy loves hockey yeah. so much. So we get to the hockey game. There's a Toledo Storm game at the time. The Toledo Walleye weren't a thing yet. And I take him to the hockey game. And not one time, not once, does he even look at the game. Well, yeah. He yeah. just he gets popcorn, and he gets some soda, and he gets some candy, and he just loves it. He's like, his eyes are closed, and he's just smiling, and yep. so he's happy. Yeah. But I'm like, aren't you going to watch the hockey game? Like, <laughs> nope. All you've talked to me it's for the ritual. three weeks yep. is the hockey. Yep. Hockey, and he didn't give a shit about the game. That's it great. was just probably something to remind him of his family, because they all loved hockey, I think. Yeah. That was a funny, fun thing. Hockey. Yep. The only thing about hockey that... It was worth anything besides the fighting, the bludgeoning of yes. faces. Saturday, May 21st, 1983, David Bowie, Let's Dance. Put on your red shoes and dance the Let's blues. Let's dance. Now, here's another guitar solo guess. There's oh, a guitar solo in that song. There is. Played by a famous guitarist. Who do you think it is? I don't know. It rhymes with Fleavy Pay Pawn. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. Stevie Ray Vaughan played the guitar solo at the end okay. of that song. That's, that's Wednesday, May 25th, 1983. Yeah. Return of the Jedi came out. Oh, yeah. Return of the Jedi came out to the theaters. That was a big deal. And this was a great movie, and I remembered it. I remembered it a lot. This is the movie I remembered the most as a kid. Yeah. Because at this point, I was seven or eight. At this point, I loved Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, everything was Star Wars. We had the yeah. Millennium Falcon and the X-Wing fighter and all the figures and, yes. you know, this is where Jabba the Hutt shows up. Oh, yeah. And Ewoks and all that. It um, was huge. It was a big, big deal. I mean, big God, deal. So all the money. toys that came out of it. So many toys. Uh, but in Return of the Jedi, here's a little tip for the nerds. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher, I mean, they all know this already. Carrie Fisher complained about her costumes in the previous two movies. She said they were so long, yeah. you couldn't even tell she was a woman. So then they put her in that bikini. Yeah, those complaints led to the skimpy outfit she wore as Jabba's slave. The costume became something of a running joke among the crew because the metal framework that held the top together meant that the costume didn't move well with her. Since Fisher didn't like the industry standard solution of using double-sided tape, it became necessary before each take to have a wardrobe person check to ensure that her breasts and her nipples weren't hanging were out. still snug inside the costume top. Yep. And several scenes had to be reshot when wardrobe malfunctions occurred. Oh, wow. Saturday, May 28th, 1983, a new number one song on the Billboard charts. What is it? Irene Cara. Flashdance, what a feeling? 
flash dance. That's right. I want to feel it. That's right. I am going to cover the IHOP killers. The IHOP killers? Yes. That's recent. That's this year. No, this well, that's is... that's Waffle House. Yeah. Um, so... Dee Castile was a 44-year-old waitress and alcoholic. Sounds hot. She was the waitress at the IHOP in Naranjua, Florida, I think. Naranja? She was married with three children, and she her marriage was very troubled. She was led into a plot that ended in murder. You know, it's funny, because that's what I've always been looking for in a woman. Uh, I've always been looking for an IHOP waitress or a troubled an marriage with three kids who's an alcoholic. That's right. So on May 29th, she was working at the IHOP. So around 2 p.m., James Allen Bryant pulls in. Now, he was the lover of the owner of the IHOP, whose name was Art Valencia. So Dee has a, had a huge crush on Allen. The owner. The No, the one who's pulling up. Oh, the guy who's pulling up. Art is she's, the name of the owner. Okay, so she's got a crush on him, even though he's a gay, gay man. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, Allen had been with Art for eight years. Okay. He was a very small, effeminate guy. Oh, which which was very. Why, why wouldn't you have a crush on? Her? Well, it was very opposite what she normally her the marriages and stuff she's had. They were big, beefy, like big, beefy, fat, wife guy, beating wife type beating guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Art, the owner of the IHOP, was a successful businessman and had bought the IHOP for Alan to manage it to kind of keep him busy. Okay, their relationship was troubled as well. Dee had been at the IHOP for nine months. And every other job she'd had, she'd been fired for drinking on the job. Uh, she well. would go through two to three bottles of scotch a day. Sounds familiar. She, <laughs> she was um, real afraid she's going to be fired again. And As had, you would had be. been drinking all day when Art, when Alan pulls up. Oh, poor gal. So she, she comes out of the ladies' room and Alan's taking cash out of the register. He, he was robbing Art and cheating on him. Okay, Art's the owner and Alan Alan's, pulled up? Yeah, Alan's the one who's getting the money out of the cash register. And Art bought it for Alan to run. To manage it, yes. So he's the manager. So Alan's the manager. Yes, and he's robbing the and place. And he's robbing it. Yes. And she knows this? She sees him doing it, yeah. And she's got a crush on him. Yes. Right. Um, Alan was now in love with a man from Cuba. Oh, another man. So he notices this oregano bottle next to the register with scotch in it, and oh. he sniffs it, but then he leaves without saying anything. And so he's she's like, Phew. He's not going to report her because he's actively robbing the restaurant. That's right, yes. That night on television, while everything else that night, because it's getting towards summer, mm -hmm. everything's reruns except for Alice. Oh. And on that episode of Alice, which I, I would assume a lot of people are going to tune in, because yeah. it's the one show that's not a rerun, yep. Mel has his cousin get a job at a competitor's restaurant to get their secret sauce recipe. Oh, well, you know. So that would hit home. That would. So two days later, which yeah. is Tuesday, May 31st. Yeah, oh, which is the same night that the Eastern Conference champion Philadelphia 76ers defeated the Western Conference champion Los Angeles Lakers four games to zero. Uh, center Moses Malone was named the NBA Finals MVP. Okay. Uh, and... and uh, there was reruns on TV that night of the A-Team, Happy Days, Joey Loves Chachi, Three's Company, 9 to 5, and Heart to Heart. Okay. Three days so, later on Tuesday, two, May Tuesdays, 31st. Yes, Tuesday, May 31st. So Alan called Dee at home and told her to come in because he wanted to talk to her. You know, Dee, I got to talk to you. So she's she probably worried. She's very worried. She's, she's worried she's going to get fired, yes. So Alan wants her to go for a ride with him. Oh. He tells her he knew about the whiskey in the bottle, but he oh, said not, blackmail. He said not to worry about it, that people like them needed to stick together. He said he wouldn't tell. People like us need to stick together. Yep. He bitched about Art and said he needed to get free of him. Art's a dick. He told her he heard she knew of someone who would take a contract on somebody. She said she knew? He told her that he heard she knew it. Oh, he told her, I heard you know And somebody. she thought he was talking about her husband's friend, Mike, who oh, always joked Mike. about it. He'd always say, oh, 
I'll um, I'll rub out your husband for you if you you know he'd flirt with her and stuff oh. and say that. So that's what she thought. Um, but Mike, maybe Mike would do it, but she, he was always just joking. And so she, she was worried though, that she's letting Alan down. So she says, well, Mike might know someone. Well, I can talk and to Mike about so it. right then the plot is, gets hatched to kill art. That is a plot. Yes. The plot is thickening. And that's where we'll pick up next week. I had part two of 1983. You mean this is a cliffhanger? Yeah. It's going to have to be a two parter to be continued. All right, we got to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Get the hell out of here, Chuck Berry. See you next week. Mm-hmm.